Good morning, ladies, and welcome to part two of Megillah Esther. I believe we were at the tail end of Perak Aleph. If you have your Megillahs handy, they are very important because we are, have a twofold purpose in having these classes. Number one is to show every single word of the Megillah is significant and not extraneous. And also to give us a very brand new insight into Megillah Esther, we said primarily brought to you by, unless noted otherwise, Rabbi Brevda, and um, it, it's really his ancestor, the Lekach uh, Das, the Lekach, uh, Yosef Lekach, and also the Vilna Gon who approved of the parish. So it's a mixture of the parish of Vilna Gon and the Yosef Lekach. We, we ended up, we're at the end of Perak Aleph at um, Pasuk, um, I believe it's Pasuk. Okay, we're, we're talking about that the last thing that happened was that the king consulted with his Yodei Das Vadin, the people that were, that knew the law, but also knew politically how to maneuver out of it. You know, like, it's just like, you know, like what to do about Vashti, you know? And um, they were, if you look at Pasuk Tesvav, uh, 15, Kadas Malasos Bamalka Vashti, what to do about the queen Vashti? Why is she referred to as the queen? This is a national dilemma and he doesn't know what to do. He really doesn't want to get rid of her. She's just claimed to the throne, despite what people think that he hated or whatever. No, he really, from the beginning, never wanted to get rid of Vashti. He was in what they called, if you're friends of Rob Ford, in a drunken stupor, um, you know, that they just, uh, you know, they, they didn't know what to do. So they, you know, they, he was like out of it and he's asking these advisors, how can we wiggle out of this? to do with the Malkavashti, to reinstate her as queen, because that's good for my monarchy. That's what he wanted to do, because she didn't do what the king told her to do. And then in Pasuk Tezayin, we have, we said, we just ended off with this, and then just, I wanted to overlap a bit. Memuchan, who was Haman, the uh, junior senator, just got it, just got in that day, because he wasn't mentioned before in the Megillah. Haman has the audacity to speak up, and that just shows, you know, like, you're a junior anything, you're like, be quiet for a little bit, get the feeling of the place, and then you'll be able to speak up. I once gave a lecture to a bunch of women years ago, and a woman there mentioned to me, it was at the Forest Hill Jewish Center, if any of you ever had anything to do with that. Um, there was a woman there who, to, who lived in Montreal, and she told me she was at, she had these meetings of business people. They always meet together weekly. And there's this one woman there who never spoke up. Never said a word. Hello, Florence. Anyway, so she never spoke up. And um, what happened was after many years, this woman had the biggest business of all of them because she kept quiet, kept listening to everybody else's ideas about how to run a business. And she implemented them. And then she became the successful one. And we did too much talking. We never learned anything on the job. And in fact, Haman was before then a barber who was married to Zeresh. Zeresh was supposed to be, according to the Vilna Gon, Chachama Gedola Ma'od, really wise woman with four PhDs. And she told him, you know, she was guiding him throughout his whole life. And then, so he gets up to do, what are you going to do? So Memuchan says, there are two issues. Not only for the king did Vashti uh, rebel, but all the ministers are going to see all the, and the men, and everyone's going to, it's going to come out. First of all, that women should not listen to their husbands. And secondly, it's going to come out that, um, that uh, you know, that, that he told her to come, he called the Malka Vashti was told to come and she didn't come. There's two problems here. Now, the, um, you know, he could have, you know, just begged forgiveness. He could have done anything, but he says, first of all, what he's trying to say, no, this is in Pusik, um, uh this is, uh, where is it? Um, yeah, but he says, not only for the king, meaning until then, there was a rule, says the Vilna Gon in Persia, that the king was not totally autonomous. He couldn't just do whatever the, he felt like doing, even though he was extremely powerful. Only for national affairs was he omnipotent. Personal affairs, however, not so simply. You have to consult with his advisors. They have to see if it's according to law. He can't just do whatever he feels like doing because, you know, sometimes it may be against you. It could be in a mood or something. It could go against national uh, security or whatever, you know. Anyways, you know, especially if you're like uh, 
if you're in the Intel committee in Congress, you know what I mean? And you happen to have a Chinese woman in your life, you know what I mean? It could be, you know, you could say it's just by personal business, you know, but what happened? So, uh, so, you know, so Haman says, no, he's saying a new rule, a new rule in Shushan. And that new rule is he's enacting for the first time. Everything in a king's life is national. There's no such thing personal in a king's life. Now, who's going to suffer from this decree? Haman himself at the very end when he hears, you know, whatever, what he's planning, how he planned to kill his wife and the whole thing with the queen and everything. He just said, behead him. And because of Haman's rule, he's going to be tied on. He's going to get killed on the spot because of the rule he personally enacted. And then he also throws in his own little thing. His wife was not from Amalek, Zeresh. So he wanted her to speak Amaleki and she never did. So he threw that in to force her to speak Amaleki, that every woman has to listen to the bidding of her husband, which is a little bit stupid. You know, I mean, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, he was the first anti-woman's liberationist in the world. If you want to point to it, it's, you can see it's against Jewish causes. In any case, so the, um, he tells her to do that. And, and now from now on, this is what happened. Now, um, so anyways, so th th everybody goes running around, plus a kid test. They wrote it in all the chronicles. Shalos lo savo vashti lifnei hamelach That vashti can never appear before the king again. Now, some commentaries say this could mean she was banished to some tower, but most opinions say this is like the politically correct way of saying off with her head. You know, they just said vashti is never allowed to appear before the king again. And it says, and the king is going to give somebody better than her the crown. So they heard, and, and all the women should start giving covet to their husbands, no matter how so the king approved of this idea. And they sent books to all the different countries um, that everybody should rule over his wife and speak in the language of his nation. This was all Haman's addition. Now, the, uh, the unbelievable thing says, Rabbi Brevda, is this was a total miracle. That's the, the fact that everyone agreed to this rule. First of all, the king we're going to see in the next chapter does not agree to this rule afterwards. He regrets what he did to Vashti. Uh, but he was drunk and he listened to his advisor, Haman. Um, and the, the advisors, the, the ministers should not have agreed to this rule because by agreeing to this rule, they're saying that the king is totally omnipotent and it could kill them on, at, any, at any time for anything, even not national, even personal, the king can have their heads. But yet they all agreed to it. That's a huge miracle. And Ahasuerus, that he protested to have Davashti dead, he regretted it later. But it's a total miracle that this rule, in fact, passed the law in Persian. And this, you know, they say Megillus Esther doesn't have Hashem's name in it. This was a Persian national document. This for, you know, in those days, in ancient times, this was forevermore that now the king is totally omnipotent. Let's move on now to Perak base. So that's, so Perak Aleph really is setting the whole theme of how Esther and Mordechai got involved in this whole story unbelievably. And, you know, because, because all this had to take place in Shushan and the king's throne being moved and several miracles we discussed so far. We mentioned about the treasures of Koresh, how they had, he, he was such a, you know, that, they, that he unearthed them, the ones from um, the Vuchanetzar and then Ahasuerus used them and how he was such a people pleaser. And, you know, and he would never kill Vashti because of his strong connection to her, but yet he did. Um, we find that, that Vashti made a party in the, the women's uh, gallery, first of all, to teach us how women were modest in those days, but to try to uproot the king, you know, that was already one strike against her. Why she did that, you know, why she had that feeling for that. Um, and that she could do, and she got away with it originally. Uh, how we listened to Haman, who was new on the scene, how the throne had to be moved to Shushan, all these things, unbelievable treasures, that, that, uh, miracles, and that was already just the first chapter. Chapter two, if we have to give it a heading, let's call it the little people persevere and how the woman who didn't want to be beautiful became beautiful. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit of a threat to all of us women who want to become beautiful and can't become beautiful at our age. But in any case, let's get on to chapter two. Chapter two, the little people. It says, Rabos Makshavos Belevish. People have a lot of thoughts, but Atsas Hashem Hisakum. What Hashem wants is what ends up prevailing and saving the day, winning the day. We find that um, 
in this chapter, we'll see how these two things apply. In the first verse, after these things, when Ahasuerus calms down, I don't know if you remember from last week, we said he was angry on two counts. One, that he was called a stable boy, but he kept that burning inside of him. And when, you, when you're told something and you're angry about it, you should vent it somehow, like tell it over to somebody, talk to yourself, work on yourself. He didn't work itself, so it just stewed inside of him. And the second thing, she didn't listen, that he could convey to other people. But uh, we're not supposed to act out our anger. We're supposed to instead, you know, because we believe that by, it says, Adam Nifal Kafipulosov, person acts according to his actions. If you feel angry, you should not act angry. You should start whispering. Everybody will know what your real motive is. You should, especially if there's people sensitive around you that can get all upset. You know, we should, we should, we should close our mouths shut. Be a hypocrite, Rev. Victor Miller said. You don't feel like it? We can't. America is so into North America, the world we live in today, the dominion of today is do what you feel like doing. A Jew is never supposed to do what they feel like doing unless it's a good thing. And the being that we are the that our body is being occupied presently by the eight Sahara, who has a 12 year um, head start on us, we should, uh, uh, you know, be not be reactive, we should be creative and try to not go with the first feeling that we have. And this brought his whole downfall, the anger that burned within him. Anyways, it says his anger finally calmed down. Remember, okay, so far we have the third year of the king is when Vashti had the party and Vashti died. He remembers Vashti, now it only meant Vashti, no more Vashti Hamalka. He missed the woman herself. He missed probably her looks, knowing him. And whatever else about her that he that found favor in his eyes, it was no more monarchy and all that. Just he, he felt bad she wasn't there. He remembered what she did and what the decree was on her. Now he calmed down. Now the um, the the according to Vilnagon, the king was very despondent because depression is anger turned inward. Both people, both an angry person and a depressive person, are both saying. Not me. I don't want this to happen. It can't be happening to me. You're not accepting that what God gave us is for the good. We have to remember that, you know, this is that God is taken out of the Megillah, but only in name only, but throughout this many lessons for us. And we're trying to, uh, you know, he was despondent because his anger turned into sadness. People see sadness. You're really saying, I don't want this to happen to me, but you're, you're crying about it. It's better to be tearful than it is to be angry. Anger really is, you know, I won't have anything of this. And a person is not recognizing that they, that they feel this way. They're just angry. They blame it on everybody else. In depression, they're already turning it on themselves. It's probably more positive than anger. But in any case, they're both bad. Now, a second verse. All of a sudden, the second verse, we have an additional uh, people coming on the scene. The Nare HaMelech Misharsav. These people, these were the little people. These were the bakers, the butlers, the, the waiters of the king, the little guys, the pages. They all come on the scene. They are going to change history because little people make a difference. One time somebody, the, the stipler Gomes, the Colonel of Rock was sitting in a cab and the cab driver was complaining, Rebbe, I have to get up early in the morning to drive my cab and I help my wife first in the morning and I come home and after I help her and I daven three times a day and afterwards at the end of the day, I go to shul and as soon as the speaker opens his mouth, I fall asleep. Believe me, I can relate. That's why, thank God, this is a morning class. I, <laughs> as soon as the speaker opens his mouth, he fell asleep. And, and so the, he says, Rebbe, what's gonna be with me in heaven? I don't know enough Torah. The stifler says you should know in Shemayim you're a general because you gave your last kayak here, your end of your day, you pushed, you pushed to learn Torah. That's the main thing you're really worrying about, thinking about. And in Shemayim, you're a general. We don't know who the, the real, it says, Olam Isa. It says one of the Tanaim said uh, that, you know, in the world to come, the little people, we don't know who's great and who's not. Every little yid is so special. You know, what each person is doing for each other these days. I'm just so amazed at how the Jewish people are really, really different than all the other nations and the way the devotion they have to each other and helping each other through all these different things we're going through these days. 
But in any case, these little people in the king's palace, they tell him, they don't tell the king directly. They don't say what he should do. But means somebody should check out for the women. They should get like just virgins. This time there's no queen. There's no yichis. There's no mention of marrying, you know, to get a good name. He's already established himself as the king. Just find some young, good-looking thing. Tovos Mara, that's what, that's the, the, you know, the mindset of these young men. And that's all they think of. And that's how they express themselves to the king. And guess what? The king listens to them. You know, we, there's so many times in history, a small person, small people have started world wars. You know, like, uh, it, it just, be, you know, different we don't know how the impact of a small person. We have to remember this when we get up to Davin. How every, how we are, nobody's nothing and nothing's trivial. God didn't just fall asleep at the will when he created us. He sent out like ministers in all his country. They connect, collect out all the beautiful single women. And they have to go to Shushan Abira, to Hege who's going to oversee this harem. You just imagine this is the greatest Miss Universe pageant that ever happened. Even Donald Trump couldn't achieve this in his lifetime. You know, that this is, uh, he got them all at once. Now, and, and he gave them all their different kind of cosmetic treatments. Even if you don't want to marry him, wouldn't we all want to go just for the cosmetics? Anyways, and the woman that's going to be a fine favorite, Pesach Dalit, in the, king, in the eyes of the king, Timloch Tachasvashti, she'll be the next queen. And it, it, it found, the idea found favor in the eyes of the king, and he did it. Now, in the middle of this narrative, we, in, we interrupt, and we see that, um, uh, you know, that there's a Ish Yehudi Hayab Shushan Habira. There was a, a Jew in Shushan, whose name was Mordechai, Ben Yair, the son of Yair, which means to light up, Ben Shimi, to hear, that was heard, Ben Kish, Kish means to knock, Ishimini. So we're, we're covering the senses here. We're covering the sense of uh, sight, smell, and uh, touch, okay, in this, out of his yichas. There must be some greater meaning for this. Ishimini means he was from Binyamin. So why is he called Ish Yehudi? This is one of the first places where someone is called Yehudim, is in Megillus Esther. Um, Ish Yehudi, now he, he's a Jew. So you could say Ish Yisraeli, a man from Israel. Why is he called Yehuda here? Um, and we all today call ourselves Yehudim because Yehuda means to be grateful. Mordechai, it says, the word Mordechai in the Targum is rendered as Mar Dechaya. Mar Dechaya is a spice. Um, or more drawer, uh, you know, that's like a certain spice. It's one of the spices in the incense that was brought to the Ketoros. It's a bitter spice, but it was very necessary. They say that Mordechai in his generation was the fifth largest tzaddik. He was not the tzaddik of his generation, but perhaps, says the Vilna Gon, he was the greatest in tefillah. That's why under his watch, this whole thing had to happen. We needed a big Tasha Rebbe, Zacharna Lebracha. We needed someone who excelled in prayer. That's, that's what he, we needed the paragon of prayer to appear here. And the, um, the senses that are mentioned here, Shimi, Shema Kol Tfilaso, says the Medrash. Hashem heard his voice when he prayed. Yair, Yair es ha'olam b'tfilaso. He, he lit up the world with his prayer. Kish, he was able to, he knocked on the doors of mercy. That This was the man chosen to represent the Jewish people. And, um, and the fact that he was from Binyamin, Binyamin was the one person that never bowed down to Asaph because he wasn't born yet. The only one of the tribes. So we had needed somebody from Binyamin here to deal with the Amalek problem. Shaul HaMelech, King Saul, descended from Binyamin, and it was not an accident, even though he wasn't from David, because he was a very humble, and um, Mordechai descended from King Saul, who was from Binyamin as well. King Saul was known for his tremendous humility, like outstanding humility. Next Pasuk, Pasuk Vav, Asher Haglam Yerushalayim, that he was exiled from Yerushalayim. Um, 
im hagola sher haglasa with the gola sher haglasa. Notice the word golas, gola is three times mentioned in this verse. Im yechania melech Yehuda. We mentioned last week there were two waves of people that were exiled from Yerushalayim. First, Yechania was called the Choresh Umasker. The first wave of exiles, the earliest exile, was the important people and Yechania. So Mordechai, being a prophet and a uh, outstanding scholar, was amongst those people exiled originally. Asher Hegla Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel. Why is it mentioned three times? It says that that uh, that he had such a love for Eretz Yisrael, Mordechai, that he tried to go back three times to Eretz Yisrael, even during this exile period, but he wasn't able to. Other commentaries mentioned perhaps he stayed in Shushan because Esther lost her parents and he stayed to take care of her. And he felt he had to do that. That was his mandate versus going back to Yerushalayim. But whatever reason, he was desperately longing for Yerushalayim, but for whatever reason, he was right now settled in Shushan. Pasuk Zion, Bahayi Omein Es Hadassah. He adopted Hadassah, it's another name for Esther. Hadassah is because Hadass is a pure thing. It's only as a smell, no taste and no anything else. Hadassim are um, known for their beautiful, pure smell. Smell is like a spiritual thing because she was a very spiritual woman. Uh, Esther means she's hidden. She was very, uh, she was, she didn't, she played down her deeds. She didn't show off. She was, you know, uh, he, Esther Bastodo, this is his niece. Ki ain la av ba'em. She had no parents. And ha nara yifas toar v'tovas mare. Toar usually like a simple explanation is she's, um, she's, toar means like if you look from afar, she has a good uh, appearance. Tovas even in the details, every nose, every bit of blackheads, whatever, were absent. You know, according to Vilna Gaon, she was beautiful. According to other people, not necessarily. Um, when her father and mother passed away, Lakacha Mordechai Lo Lavas. Mordechai took her as a daughter. Okay, we have to explain this. Now, adopted, he adopted her. Omein, by the way, interesting, is like the word amen, because they say, if you say amen with all your strength, it's a way to get amuna. So all those words are connected because amuna is not like breathing air, if anybody didn't get that by now. Some people think that's true. We just have to have amuna. I just say, I have to have amuna, and that'll be it. You have to work on amuna. You have to adopt it. You have to say a lot of davening. You have to amen. You have to amen. I'm sorry. You have to like, and amen means it is true. You have to make it true into your heart. You have to talk to yourself. You have to learn Musar Svarim. You have to listen maybe to the Bitachan hotline. People need to work on Amuna, especially in our generation when the world is screaming all kinds of things. One verse, one people say, take the vaccine. Some people say, don't take the vaccine. If you're in Israel, there's cars driving by, say it's a sort of vote in the elections. And then the cars after them say it's a, it's a mitzvah to vote in the elections. And we're hearing all these different voices and all these different refrains. And then the whole unrest in the world today, the primary thing we need is Amuna and Bitachan. But that the, what, that's just a hint about omen. And an uman is another word with amuna. Uman means a craftsman. You have to make it your craft. It has to be something to, to be in the Olympics, to be skilled at anything. You need a lot of practice. And it's not going to come for naught. And a lot of people have been thrown off recently. A lot of people had challenges they never had in their lives in this past year. And, you know, and, and, and the only way we're going to survive it is by working on amuna. You know, this is where Amuna kicks in, not to let ourselves fail with the, with the way the street talks. You know, let's say, God forbid, I'll just give an example. Somebody loses money, a lot of money, which some people are, you know, not to, this thing is coincidence. And if only I would have, you know, backstabbed my, my competitor, or if only this, or if only that. We have to be Jews of, of faith, and we have to realize things don't happen for naught. There's messages, divine messages being thrown at us at all times. And we have to follow the lead. We have to do what the messages are telling us to do. So that's the Amuna part. Now with Hadassah and Mordechai, the idea is like this, that, okay, a lot of different messages here to mention. She was, we said she was an orphan and she was related. And when it says that she was a Tovas, Yefas Torah and Tovas Marek, according to the Vilna she was in a general sense, she worked on her character. Her character was flawless. 
and um, and Tova and, and uh, uh, Tovas Mare, um, in every little mitzvah she did, she did it with her all. And that's the way really to succeed in our personal lives is that every mitzvah we should put our all into. That's how we're going to succeed because we don't know which is our last mitzvah on earth. And, and, you know, every moment we want to make as good as we can. But in general, we have to work on perfecting our character. Now, the um, interesting, there's some of them, abortions say, I don't remember who said this. I wrote it down, but I didn't, didn't um, I couldn't find the source. I know this is true, though. I think I, I think it's the Orachim, but I, I have to look it up. Um, one of the reasons why Esther became the heroine in this story is because she didn't fail in her kibbutz of the aim because the hardest mitzvah in the Torah is kibbutz of the aim. And um, because she didn't have parents, she wasn't faulted. Like, you know, after they're not here anymore, you still have to do something. She didn't, I'm sure she honored them in her own way. And that was, otherwise there would be a fault. Uh, you know, that's the biggest thing required of her. Um, it, it, you know, and if somebody, that, that would be a blemish because Ace of honor his father. Asaph was outstanding. And you have to combat Amalek here, who's a descendant of Asaph. You need outstanding kibbutz the aim. The Chidah says, this I do know to quote, the Chidah says that every per, that the success of a person in this world is correspondent to the degree of kibbutz the aim he or she possesses. Now, I don't know if this applies to a non-Jew, but it applies to Jews, definitely. Now, so she, um, she was like, looked perfect. Now, the thing was, According to, there's a whole machlokas in the Gemara, two opinions. She had just adopted her. She was his niece. Other opinions said when she became of age, rather than to have a Yitzhahara for her, he married her because he took her as a daughter. Don't say bas, but say bayis. She was his house. A woman makes the entire atmosphere. Like when we bring in the Shabbos, we're bringing in the entire atmosphere for the home. Women are the heart of the home. The heart is what how people end up following. People go after their mothers, usually, not always, but usually the mother has the whole atmosphere and the home is from the mother. Direction is from the father. But she was his prime disciple. She, boss, even if she wasn't married to him, she was definitely his prime disciple as far as spiritual teachings. Not, I don't think he taught her Gemara, but he, uh, she was his spiritual in inheritor. She did whatever he said. Now, we find that... Um, and uh, okay, so now pasuk ches, and now when when this is a very interesting, strange pasuk. It seems like something's cut off from it. When they heard the king's words and his edict, edict, and and then they gathered a lot of women to Shushan from Haggai. Esther was taken to the house of the king through Haggai, who was in charge of the harem. What does it mean? And they and when they heard. Uh, okay, and, and the law. So the Medrash tells us that Esther, as soon as she heard that they're looking for a queen, Esther hid out. She was a fugitive. Like everybody else, you could just imagine, everybody says, wow, the greatest shidduch, here it is. I can, first of all, free cosmetics for a year, you know, that's one thing. I'm married to the Mr. Who knows what, 127 countries. Women were all into, Lancome went, you know, was the crashing, the stock was crashing in the stock market. You know what I mean? Everybody, everybody was a big, big run on uh, Dior and everything. Everybody wanted everything to get to, this is such a, uh, you know, connection to have the most sought after shidduch in the world. You know, Esther did the opposite. She shuttered her house, you know, and she, she hid out for three years. She was a fugitive. Okay, so from year three to six, Esther was hiding out. The Medrash says what happened once there was a commotion in the street. And for a second, she opened a crack, the shutter, and somebody reported on her that a woman was hiding from the king. This was against the rule. All women were had to, because first he brought the unmarried woman. Then later, even if she was married, they say brought her later. And um, she was taken, mean against her will. She was grabbed by the Corona Hotel police in Toronto, and she was taken against her will to the king's palace. Uh, that's a better place than the Corona Hotel in Toronto. Any case, so she was taken against her will, and that's exactly what happened in that Pusuk. Now, she was down to the king's palace, excuse me, she was taking the harem of Hege, Pusuk Tess, 
And Hagef said, you know what? This is queen material. When he saw her, he, she found favor in his eyes. He hurried up. He forced all these cosmetics on her. She didn't want anything. She was from Meisharim. She didn't want to put on anything. But he started with the lipstick and they started with the nail polish. They started with all the things, the different things. And um, they gave her, you know, women to, to be her, her, her servants. Um, what it said, and he, when he gave different women to her, they said that she had seven, she chose seven women. And the seventh one, she chose to be a Jew to remind her when Shabbos was so they could both keep it together. Any case. So um, now Pusikud, which is really incredible. The Lohigida Esther's Amaves Molatata, she didn't reveal her background because Mordechai commanded her not to reveal. This, I didn't, I don't remember right. I heard this years ago and it's not from the Vilna Gaon, but this was probably the biggest miracle in the entire Megillah that the Jewish people for entire, like we're talking till the end of the Megillah, from year, this is already year uh, four, no, six is when she was taken. Six whole years, not one Jew told who her background was. No one told on her that she, the, the merit of Shmira Salashan, because it could have been dangerous for the Jewish people. Not one person revealed Esther's background or Esther's, uh, where, who, who she's, now she was royalty. She came from the King, King Shoals. She came from that background, but no one said anything to her in any way. And it's unbelievable. The whole Jewish people, no one said a word about her. Now, the uh, so she the, so what happened was the uh, she never told her her thing. Now again, we're talking about everyone would have been happy to blab it. You know, this is my claim to the throne, and now everybody's going to know who I am, and I'm bearing the king, and all this. Okay, Pesukidal. Every day, Mordechai is walking back and forth in front of the courtyard of the of the women to know two things. Shlom Esther, how is Esther faring? Umaya Seba, and what's being done with her? So that sounds like a simplistic thing. First of all, we have to understand the greatness of Mordechai in this case. We're talking about him going to Hollywood, Sunset Strip, or in Toronto, if you want a Toronto reference, downtown Young Street after 11 o'clock at night, whatever it may be, he's going to these really low light, or, or we went for the New Yorkers, if there's any New Yorkers or Times Square, he's going here to check Shlom Esther Umbaya Seba. Um, first of all, the fact by now, the fact she's not revealing her background, she could have been arrested already for resistance, but she didn't want to endanger her people. It, it's a miracle she becomes queen, a chutzpah, you don't tell them where you're from? You don't tell me even the street you lived on, like, you know, no background checks. And this is especially after the whole story with Vashti, you know, marrying such a woman of such credentials. Now she doesn't tell a word. It's unbelievable. Another miracle in the Megillah. So Pesachit base, when each girl would come before the king, um, 12 months, because you had to have six, six months in, uh, in spices and six months, I'm sorry, six months in like oils and six months in, 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 in perfumes and all these kind of things. Do you think by then maybe we'd get rid of, maybe they had Botox then too, or maybe it's even better than Botox. I don't know, maybe less dangerous. And then in Pesachit Gimel, Bazan Nara Bala Melech, everything, then she'll come to the king with that, anything that was given to her to bring from the, 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 the harem to the king's at night, every woman had to be brought to the king from this harem in the, in the morning she came back through Shashkaz, who was a, a servant of um, all these women. And only, only if she was called again, would she be like, he had tryouts with all these women, tried them all out uh, during this period of time for the year. And then he'd come back and only if she's called. Pasuk Tezvav, Vagia Tor Esther, Basavichayel, Dod Mordechai. And when Esther came before the king, Asher Lakachlo Levas, maybe she's even married, Lavola Melachlo Biksha Davar, I don't want Dior, I don't want any of this, I don't want anything. And but he Esther, no says chain be'ene choroeha. And Esther found favor in the eyes of everyone. Unbelievable. She didn't want anything, and she's the one that's uh, chosen. Rav Yaakov Kamenevsky, Zechrona Lebracha, says a, a very beautiful comment on this verse, that she finds favor in the eyes of all. Like, what's the relevance there, you know? And what can we learn from it? He says, you know what? Another character in our history that's going to find favor in the eyes of all is going to be the Mashiach. Now, and that's a big thing. <laughs> what does it mean that how do we understand that Esther found favor in the eyes of all and how do we understand that Mashiach will find favor in the eyes of all 
Now, everybody always are speculating this old thing that used to go out was, where will Mashiach be coming from? Will he be Chabad? Will he be Litvish? Will he be Sephardi? Will he be Persian? What will he be? What kind of Jew is Mashiach going to be? And we see Esther, by the way, was Persian, you know, by the way. But um, the, the fact is, what does it mean she found favor in everybody that beheld her? And this was also in non-Jews. How, how does that work? It says like this. Usually, people have a common cause, right? Any, we have many different ways to serve Hashem. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and there's many different ways to serve Hashem, and they're all equally beautiful. And let's say that somebody's, for example, whatever they are, let's say they're Hasidish. If somebody's Hasidish, usually people tend to be friends with other Hasidim because Hasidim have certain beautiful strengths that they all possess and they all value. And this is the way they find they want to serve Hashem. So they bond together usually. Usually they, 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 see, they see what's good and they find the thing, that, the, the thing, the qualities that Hasidus have for them, they, they find, you know, rings true. And, and they see it in other people, you know, it bonds them together. They have a common cause, right? And every single group of the Jewish people has one, has a definitely a strength, at least, if not more than one strength, that we possess, that we focus on, that we hyper-focus on. Esther was so highly developed in all of her mitos and all of her character traits, she possessed something that this Hasidim would say, she has the simcha, she's Hasidish for sure. The Sephardim would say, Oi, does she know how to make a party and feed people and do things for other people and be and say so many tefillot and, 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 and honor rabbis and kiss their hands? It must be a Sephardia. You know, and the Litvish will say, boy, diktuk in halacha, oy, yeah, yeah. And she's even early for minion. And she's, you know, whatever. And she, she, you know, she wants a husband learning. You know what I mean? She must be Litvish. And Chabad will say she wants to help all the unaffiliated Jews. And we're willing to have obviously stroll for everybody. She's Chabad. If somebody develops their midos, everybody sees themselves, their reflection in her. And people tend to like themselves. So we see Mashiach is going to have all the traits that are pronounced, that are wonderful about each one of our groups. And so we'll all love him. The same thing, Esther, because of her character development, he, she, she stressed everything. She didn't just stress one of the things that we stressed. She stressed it all. And thus, she was finding favors, says Rav Yaakov, in the eyes of anyone that beheld her. Um, okay. Now, so we find that uh, now Pasuk Tezayan, she was taken uh, to Beis Malchuso in the 10th month, Teves, in the seventh year. So the sixth year she was taken to the harem and the seventh year she was taken to the king. So this is four years after Vashti was killed. And if I have a Melchus Esther, Mikol Anashim, of all of his harem, he loved her the most. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, and, crazy, uh, and, and, and she found favor in his eyes from all the, even the single women. And he put a crown on her head and she was the queen instead of Vashti. Now the Melech made a big party for all of his, uh, you know, servants, the Mishta Esther, and he gave people tax reductions. Uh, now, what's the point there that he made a party? Now it could be, you know, he just likes making a lot of parties, but says the Vilna Gone, he made a party, he was hoping, so far she didn't reveal her background. He still wants, he want. it wasn't like, come on, don't think the king just like swallowed this. He married her and now he's hoping for the big schmear. Maybe she'll, maybe she'll drink a little bit, who knows? Maybe she'll be flattered by all the honor and want us to talk about her mother and father and how great they were. Nope, nothing, not one word. We, that's why it says, and, and then Pasigates, he did something else after the party. Didn't you ever wonder why at the end of this parak it says now he gathers a single woman again and Mordechai is sitting, by the way, at the Shah Hamalek. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, he gathers single women. He was hoping through jealousy that maybe she's going to reveal who she is. Look, I got all these single women running around now again. You know, maybe your, your kingship is at uh, risk, at peril. And, and I didn't mean peril, peril, but I mean P-E-R-I-L. But in any case, so maybe you're at risk. So instead... Now, that's why it says that the Ain Esther Magedes. Esther does not say her birthright and her nation because Mordechai told her not to say. Now, Mordechai in turn is watching. He's there all the time to know. He realizes there's some national thing for the Jewish people here. He doesn't want to leave her alone. 
failed to mention before two things I forgot to say at Pusset Get Off. And just now as I'm sitting here, it comes to me. The two things he was worried about, Shlom Esther and Maya Sebai. Just want to explain those two concepts. Shlom Esther means, it says uh, in, in Mishlei, Tovas Rishayim Ra Eitzel Tzadikim. When a wicked person does favors for you, a tzaddik is very, gets very nervous because a tzaddik is afraid. It's a test. You know, here's this wicked man who's marrying, you know, take, takes me into his harem. And she's, he's worried. Like, you know, she's, she's like sick from thinking, oh, look at the tests I endure. I have to be with this, 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 you know, all the dressing and the Dior and the, the whole business. I, like, she, she couldn't take it. So he was worried about her spiritual like that she's suffering. Today gets a suffering. She has to go through this huge test of so much physicality. And by Yaseba, he was worried since he killed his first wife at, you know, whatever, off of your head, he's worried of her physical um, situation. So that's why Mordechai is always sitting around. Pasuk Hafala, we find in this chapter, second chapter, Bigson, Viserish, two men over here, uh, no, they were planning rather to kill the king. Mordechai overheard. He understood 70 languages. He was in the Sanhedrin. He overhears they're planning to take the king's life. And Esther said it. Uh, Esther reveals this in the name of Mordechai, what the plot was. And it's amazing. Says Rav Galinsky, says Sal, that um, why is it whoever quotes people properly is going to bring the Geula to the world? Because Geula means humility. It says Mashiach will only come when the Jews are either all righteous or all wicked. And what about us middle people? What about us? Why can't it come in our time? The two things, the common denominator says Rav Desler between the wicked and the righteous is they both say it's not me. When Mashiach will come, the righteous will say, did we deserve all the great things that Hashem gave us? And the wicked will say, we sure didn't deserve what Hashem gave us. The, the average person may say, well, I did a mitzvah last week. I did a, one mitzvah this morning. You know, I did something, you know. So Esther is sure to be humble, to always quote who she learned something from. And she and because of this, she brought the gula. Because of this, later when they read the king's chronicles, they see that Mordechai saved the king's life and the merit of her quoting things accurately. You know, if we if we don't attribute things to ourselves, if we work on our humility, that's how we're going to bring Mashiach to the world. And they checked it out. And these people were both guilty and they were hung on the tree and they wrote this down. Now we're introduced to Paragimel. Paragimel is the up, the bring, the rising up of Haman. And we're going to be introduced to him and his ways in Pasuk and Paragimel. Now, in the third chapter. After these things, Gidal HaMelech HaChashverosh Es Haman. Gidal, says the Vilna Gon, means financially rewarded him. This, remember, his idea, this whole thing about killing Vashti, now that he's married with Esther, he sees how much better his life is now. And he, uh, he appreciates it. So, you know, he raised him up. Also, could be he got money from other things, uh, from other areas. Haman, you know, ended up being the richest second of the king in the whole you know, Persian kingdom. And then he also, who means he gave him tremendous respect. He was considered second to the king honorifically. He was uh, prime minister. And he gave his, his seat was higher than all the other officers. Now it says in Pasuk Base, Perak Gimel Pasuk Base, third chapter, second verse, all the servants in the Shar HaMelech uh, were bowing down to Haman because that's what the king commanded them to do. And Mordechai will not bow and not even flinch, not even curtsy. Lo Yechrai won't bend his knee and he won't prostrate himself, rather. I won't, you know, okay, let's explain this. There were two areas. There was Shushan, the, the city of Shushan, and then there was a royal area, much like the Vatican today, like, you know, there's Rome and then there's the area of the Vatican or Washington, D.C., there's the capital area, and then there's the general city. We find that in the Shar HaMelech, in the royal area, there was a law that the king made that everyone has to bow down to Haman. Now, if you look at um, Pasuk Gimel, again, the small people, the, the little pages are getting all upset. Why were they upset? They were upset because they would be carrying a, play, a tray of, of donuts. And all of a sudden, if Haman appears, they have to prostrate themselves, no matter where they were. It was extremely inconvenient. And they hated him to begin with. We'll see in a few verses further why they hated Haman so much. But anyways, in, in verse three, 
They said, why are you not listening to the king? They want to understand from Mordecai. They hated him to begin with. They're hoping they could pump something out of Mordecai and maybe in the merit of the Jewish people, get rid of Haman. And it doesn't, Mordecai's not answering them. You don't see a response in the fourth verse. And they told him day after day and he didn't listen. And they told Haman, because he told him he was a Jew. They ended up, they're the ones that told Haman, Mordecai is not bowing down to you. And why is this relevant to know that they had to tell Haman that Mordecai is not bowing down? Because, says the Vilna, go and listen to this, Haman didn't look at people. People to him were like flies. He didn't notice who bowed down and not. I remember my beloved doctors, he should rest in peace, Dr. Shields, Dr. Yudi Shields, he should rest in peace, the best doctor I ever had in my life. I, uh, I remember when Obama was elected, he told me that he noticed that when he gave a speech, Obama, he would never look at people in the face. Right. Just, just, as a, just a little point that he mentioned here. This is how we imagine Haman. Never looked at you in the face. This is some of these full of themselves people. Look, there are people I'm not going to go into names. Many of them are in politics today, but they don't look at you personally because you are nothing to them. You are just a pawn for their bigger aspirations in life. So anyways, they had to tell him that Mordecai is not bowing to him because he didn't even notice that there's this one person always standing. Now, either Mordecai didn't bow because he wore some kind of idolatry on his neck as a, as a uh, necklace, or he didn't bow because he was a Malik. There could have been many different interpretations. Um, so anyways, so what happened is Haman says, he's Mordecai not bowing down to him. But Haman sees he doesn't bow to him. He's boiling angry. Can you imagine one guy doesn't bow down to you? Come on, get over it. But it says kavod, out of all the mitos, kavod is the only honor, getting attaining honor is the only one of the traits that's not dependent on anything physical. Like, let's say jealousy. She's got a better uh, figure than I have, you know what I mean? Or she's stronger or she's wiser or whatever it may be. That's, that's jealousy. Um, what's it called? Taiva. Taiva is dependent on something physical. And then there's an end to it. There's an end. You can only desire something. You can't have it day and night, you know, then you get over it. But covet is totally spiritual. Covet is relevant. Covet means person should have covet. We have to give covet to other people. Why? Covet means you have a soul. I'm, I'm showing, I believe God created a human being with a soul. It deserves covet and we deserve self-covet. Rabbi Yerucham Lubavitz says you can't Serve Hashem until you first realize that you have something. God didn't fall asleep at the wheel when he created me. That every person, Kulay Aimir Kavad, everything says honor. That the world is full of Hashem's honor and it's most manifest in humanity. Even in non-Jews, they each have, some people have like a feeling for truth, a feeling for something. Everybody, even in Slobodka, they used to say, even an anti-Semite has to say the word dirty Jew before he murders a Jew. He has to feel like the Jews deserve this because you can't rationalize other way. You have to rationalize with yourself. Person has a conscience. Everybody's got some kind of conscience and, and Jew has even, you know, beautiful soul. Any case, he, he's boiling angry that Mordechai won't bow down to him yeah, because it, it's so stupid. You know, it, when you take cover to the wrong extents, extremes that everyone has to honor you and everyone has to admire you, then, then we're being ridiculous. We have to realize the main honor we want is from Hashem. And from ourselves, did we do the right thing? If somebody ever puts us down, we have to just self-analyze. Is what this person's saying right? If it's right, we have to rectify what we've done. And of course, you listen to the Bitachan hotline, you realize anybody insulting you, it's coming from their cockroach side. So you're going to listen to a cockroach and get insulted by a cockroach. You're not going to get insulted by a dog barking or a cockroach. If that's, a, if that's not a person talking to you now, if a person is insulting that person is not acting human right now. They're acting like an animal. And you shouldn't let the animal, if there's some truth to their criticism, that you can take apart later and, and you know, understand it. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, but the, that part, but insulting, you know, one person, you can't take it. Now, what does he know? It, listen, he can't just kill Mordechai alone. That looks too petty. Me, Haman, getting upset by one stupid Jew? <laughs> then they revealed to him where he comes from. 
So then he says, I'm going to destroy men, women, and children because of my honor. And don't think this is just this man, by the way. This is any person that's a megalomaniac over honor. And there are plenty in this world. And look how many people are willing to behead hundreds of millions of people because of a slight to their honor. And this is what he did. So the first month of Nisan, this is in this 12th year already when the Haman comes to power and everything, he throws lottery. He's, he's a man that believes in coincidence, you know? He played the 649 every week or the Powerball, whatever, every week, you know, this man thinks like, you know, he doesn't believe in God. So um, he throws this, the lots and for Haman, and then it comes out in the month of Adar, and he starts, he was supposed to be the guy that excelled the most in Lashon Hara. Out of all the people, I'm trying to see what time it is now. We have like 10 more minutes, right? Am I correct? Um, or five more minutes? Okay. Any case, the, um, we find that um, they, uh, they, he, he, he throws, he throws the, the lots. It falls on the 13th of Adar. And um, Adar is the month, you know, that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. He said, ah, oh, sounds like a good month. Little did he know Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on his birthday on the 7th of Adar. And um, the closest in our generation, this happened to, uh, but where Moshe Feinstein passed away on his bris. Moshe, Moshe Feinstein was born on the 7th of Adar and he passed away in Purim. And um, that was a very special event. So anyways, what happened was, he says, if the king, you know, there's a nation that is doing all kinds of things. They say that in the Lecha Deida Lishna Bisha Kahaman, Chazal San Megillah, there was no one that knew about Lashon Hara like Haman. How so? Lashon Hara really is absolutely true. And everything Haman said was absolutely true, but it depends on your spin. That's what Lashon Hara really is, and he excelled at it. So we see that there is even a basis to say that a lot of the learnings we should think of in the Megillus Esther is about Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara saved the Jews. I mean, the Shmira Salashans saved the Jews, and the Lashon Hara of Haman was going to destroy the Jews. That's another angle to perceive the Megillah. But really, we know from Chazal that the reason why Haman's about to make a decree is because of the two things the Jews did wrong. One, many years before they bowed down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, which was idolatry, which is horrific, and they did it out of fear for their lives. But this was a generation of prophets. They shouldn't, they, they, they shouldn't have worried about public thought. They should worry about Hashem, not what people think. And they should think about Hashem. And later, going to the meal of Achishverosh, Ach Mordechai was a prophet, told people not to go. 18,500 people succumbed. And the rest of us were all responsible for our brethren. Because of that, we were all decreed to be destroyed because we we're willing to worry about what the politicians think of us if we don't show up at this party versus what does Hashem think of us. Some people say they served trade food or there, there were women running around there, whatever it was. The point was Achishverosh told us not to go. Instead of listening to our sages, and Achishverosh looked like he was, very, I mean, Achishverosh, and Mordechai looked like he was very foolish at this point, like endangering us twice, telling us not to go to the party and not bowing down to Haman. And yet we are supposed to have Emunas Chachamim. This is what saved S.Y. Esther merited to be this heroine faith in the sages, believing in Torah scholars. When they tell us to do something, we have to listen. We all have local Torah scholars. Whatever your personal rub tells you to do, you do. And Shomer Pesayim Hashem, and God will take care of the fools. The, um, anyway, so he says, he comes up with his Lashon Hara speech here. He says, Yeshna Amechad, Mefuzar, Mefur, Benhamim. There's a nation that's spread out from all the other nations. They spread all over the world. In other words, if you murder them, it's not like you're killing out a whole country. You're just killing out people that are all over the place. They're spread out every. That's true, right? Mafurad, uh, mafuzar means spread out. Mafurad is like the word preda. Preda is like a mule. A mule is a barren donkey. Um, you won't have fruit from these people. There's nothing, no, no benefit financially from this. The Eros Tavash says, if we're all together, with a whole heart, that we live together, we're not separated from each other, no nation can rule over the Jewish people. And it says, and Dasayim Shanos, and their customs are different, we call them, from all the other nations. What does it mean, Dasayim Shanos? They don't eat or drink with us. 
And does say Hamelachinamosim. They don't do the customs of the king. They say today is Shabbos, today's Rosh Chodesh. I can't be here. I can't be at work. I can't be at the St. Patrick parade. I can't be all over the place. I can't eat with you. And also for Lamelach and Shovel Hanicham. And for the king, it's not worth it to leave them. Because if you touch wine, your highness, they won't drink it. But if a fly falls in their wine, some people spill out the fly, maybe none of us today probably, but in those days, it's spill out the fly with some of the liquid and drink it. But if you touch the wine, O king, these Jewish people won't even touch it. And another explanation is this, uh, it's not worth it for you to keep them. I'm offering you 10,000 silver talents of gold. If It won't be worth it financially for your finances, for your coffers to keep them alive. It's not worth it, even as slaves, they're not worth it to, to be kept alive. Now, Shimshon Pincus tells us everything he said was true, but it's his spin. You know, that, uh, you know, when, when we say something, but with a negative spin, we're, Lashon Hara really, it says the Chavetz Chaim, it was once asked, should you think Lashon Hara? And the Chavetz Chaim says, if you think Lashon Hara, you're thinking a lie. Because we have to see the positive spin on people. I guess when I think of Lashon Hara, I have to make mention of our dear friend, Leah Weissman, who I used to call Leah Shmira Salashin. She wrote a book about Chedva Silverfarb, who was a special woman. Well, she translated the book, about a woman who was known for Lashon Hara. And whenever, and when Leah lived in Toronto, to me, she was the woman. You couldn't get a bad word out of her. And also we lost this last month, we lost Peggy Kaplan, who I feel was also never said, I never heard a bad word out of her mouth, never. And all the years that I knew her, these are two women that show us that it can be done. We can have a legacy of never speaking a negative word about another person. So let's, we'll take that to heart. Okay. Any case. Now, these are both, uh, Leah lived in B'nai Brock, but she originally was in Toronto and Peggy was her whole years in Toronto. But any, any of this, it, it our attitude that, um, you know, that, the, that, uh, that a person should see the good, see the good. That's where it all comes from. And Haman twisted all these things about the Jews that could have been seen in a very positive note. Not only just was said the truth, but it was perceived by him and Achish as a negative. And then he says, let's like, let's, that he's going to destroy all the Jews in the 13th, uh, the, you know, in the, the, the month of Adar, um, and we'll take all their spoils a year from now. So they all ran around. By, and, and the, the rule was set in Shushan, Bamelech, Bahaman, Yashvu, Lishos, and Haman and the king sat down to drink, and the city of Shushan was Navocha, was confused. Okay, I want to explain this beautiful explanation from Rav Galinsky, Zechar Tzadik Lavracha. He said, what happened on that day, according to the Yalkut, was that there were many tragedies Ha'ir Shushan, Navocha, the city of Shushan, had many tragedies on those days. They were drinking you know, and sealing the deal, so to speak, to destroy the Jewish people. Women were, strange tragedies were happening. Women would go to hang their laundry on the rooftop, they'd fall off the roof. People were suddenly, all horrific tragedies were suddenly happening. Why is this noted? Sir Begalinsky says something unbelievable. Um, he said like this, he said that really, if Ahasuerus at that moment would not have been drinking, and he would have heard of all the tragedies befalling his city at that moment, he would have stopped the decree at that moment because he would have taken heed. Something terrible happens, which most people did, let's say, after the Jews exited Egypt, the whole world was shaking except for Amalek, right? Ahasuerus would have annulled the decree. He would have not kept sealed the deal because he would have you know, realized, what is everything happening? All of a sudden, tragedies, maybe. Not that he's going to do tshuva and become a, a righteous convert, but that he's, most people take pause when tragedies occur. All the more so should a Jew. Continues Rav Galinsky in this thought, in this vein of thought, that when Bilam was confronted by his donkey, and the donkey starts speaking for the first time, and he says, why did you hit me these three times? You know, I, don't you see there's an angel sta standing in front of us with an outstretched sword and says, I'm going to kill you? Bilam said, I have sinned. Even Bilam came to the conclusion he has sinned when he saw something that looked threatening. Now, maybe this tshuva doesn't last by wicked people or they, 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 they give into their desires at the end, but even the wicked realize that when something befalls us negatively, 
So even more so as Jews, when everything, anything goes wrong, we have to realize there's a message being sent here. It says that Rav Papa one time felt his knees buckle in slightly when he was climbing a ladder. And he said, I must be high of skila. I must be, there must be some message for me here. I must have to, I must be, the death penalty of stoning must be on me. For, what did I do wrong? First thing, they say um, in more modern times, Rav Moshe Feinstein one time bumped his head and he said, did I hurt somebody's feelings? His first thought. You know, this is how a Jew is supposed to look at life. And look what we're living through, ladies, ladies and ladies. Uh, we're living through a time where, that, where you know, things, God is screaming. The world is screaming at us. We have to introspect and see what can we fix. That's what all these messages are for. They're not for naught. Because if the world is definitely going crazy. It's not just for us to say, Ah, uh, to heck with them and Allah's best sign good. Everything will be good. We're supposed to think, my Mayorka, God is talking to us. There's some lesson that we have to internalize. There's a story about the, the, the two Rebbe's ago in Skalen, Revlazer Zusha, Portugal, um, who was once, he once went to this uh, two, two Rebbe's ago. Um, big Tzadik was, uh, he started the whole thing with the orphanages for people from Europe. And um, later he was um, taken over by the illustrious former Skalena Rebbe itself. Anyways, when he went to the tomb of, uh, he went to the tomb of, uh, uh, what's his name, of, um, of Shimon Bar Yochai. He went to Meiron with an entourage. And when he was in Meiron, the, uh, he got in there and there was somebody that wasn't all there. And this person starts screaming at the Skalena Rebbe, Manuval Arise! Manuval Arise! Like you low life, you best, you despicable person, get out of here. And people told him, Rebbe, this mensch is Nishtin Gansen. You know, this person doesn't have all his faculties. He's missing a few screws. That's what they told him. And the, and the, the Rebbe said, no, I want to hear what he says. When he heard that, he says that, you know, we should get out. He said, Hashem is sending me a message that something is needed in Meiron. And he built... I think a yeshiva there, either yeshiva or his orphanage there. I don't remember which, but he felt it has to build right there at the tomb of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai because someone insulted him there. That was the, the, the feelings of the Skalena Rebbe. When we hear tragedies, let's look, what can we still correct? That's what we're here in the world for, right? How can we improve our character? How can we Tovas Mara and Yivas Torah and Tovas Mara? Another story, two more stories I want to share with you and then we'll end at, for, to end this Parak Gimel. And that is that there's a story about um, the, the, the Chafetz Chaim. One time a, a Chinese Jew came to the Chafetz Chaim and he's asking him certain questions. And the Chafetz Chaim says, no, what's, what's going on in China? He told them, Rebbe, there's earthquakes lately. He said, earthquakes? Darfman Juvatan, we have to do tshuva. And, and, and the Chinaman said to him, what do you, Rebbe, what does that have to do with earthquakes in China with Yidin? He says, listen, if you would find a, stump, a yid would put up a soapbox in the middle of the town square and he'd step up on the soapbox and start talking in Yiddish. To whom is he speaking? He says, he's speaking to Jews. He's speaking Yiddish. He says, well, when Hashem talks, who's the people that listen to the inner message? The Jewish people. Anything that happens in the world is for the Jewish people. Ravchatzka Levenstein, my last story here. Ravchatzka Levenstein, when he lost his wife, he was sitting shiva. The great Rav Haskell, I talk about all the time. He was sitting Shiva and thousands of people came to comfort him. You know, be Menachem Avel, Rav Haskell. And um, so they, uh, when they were standing in line to comfort Rav Haskell Levenstein, the uh, Rav Haskell commented to somebody, I see I have no friends. And he said, what is Talmidim said, Rebbe, what do you mean you have no friends? Thousands of people are standing in line to be Menachem Avel, you. And he said, nobody gave me any musser as to why I lost my wife. So since I didn't hear a reason as to why I lost my wife, nobody cares that much about me. That's what he said. We have to, so we have so many lessons we learned from today. Millions, besides all the coincidences, the twists and turns of Miguel Tester so far. And I even wanted to get further and I didn't. Um, we've learned how Lashon Hara saved the day and Shmira Salashan saved the day. Lashon Hara didn't help. The small people really count. The small people count. That's a whole paraphrase of the Gillis Esther. We small people make a difference. 
Every person makes a difference. And small people around us make a difference. There's no two classes. Everybody's important in the eyes of Hashem. How for the covet, Haman's willing to kill an entire nation. Don't let covet destroy you. Remember, it's dogs and frogs and cockroaches. And that you, but if there's a message, listen, maneuver rice, maneuver rice, and realize it's for your betterment. You have to change. We have to, we have to do something with it. And, and, and that we have to take a lesson when things go wrong. That's what Rav Galinsky says. A yid has got to learn a lesson. You hear bad news? There is a big screaming lesson. We have to do tshuva at Amuna. Omein is Hadassah. We have to incorporate Amuna. We have to listen to Shiurim on Amuna. We have to learn Musar on Amuna. We have to do things to work on our character, to be Tovas Mara and Yafas Torah. We have to do every mitzvah we should try to do with Shlemus. And every and the general gist of it is we should work on our character. I thank you for listening. And Mitzvah next week, same great administrator and same great audience, same great Megillus Esther. And I hope, I hope and pray we can finish Megillus Esther in time for Purim. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Amazing, amazing, amazing.